Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Season 2 for the Aspire Podcast. Today's episode is with Ying Yi. Ying Yi is the pastor for Chinese Christian Church, otherwise known as CCC, in Milsons Point in Sydney. And he's been in that position for 30 years. His interview was genuinely heart-in-mouth stuff. It was incredible. There were some serious lows in this podcast that I totally did not expect. So I'm giving you that heads up from the get-go. But it made for really interesting listening and chatting to him. So I'm really excited to share this podcast with you on Ying Yi's story and life. Enjoy. We're really pleased that on today's episode, uh, we've been joined by Pastor Ying Yi. Uh, Ying uh, is the senior pastor at CCC Milsons Point and has been in that role for nearly 30 years. Uh, as we were chatting earlier, he uh, indicated to us that um, he's been at the church for nearly 50 years as a congregational member and the last 30 of which he's been there as the senior pastor. So we're really glad that Ying's been able to join us on the podcast today. So Ying, welcome. So glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Paddy. It's good to be with you here this evening. Yeah. So, Ying, I thought we'd um, sort of start a little bit about maybe hearing about your journey uh, into faith, what it took, in a sense, for you to become a Christian. Um, it's always great to hear stories about how the gospel affects people's lives. So I'm wondering if you want to share with us a little bit about how you became a Christian. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I, uh, I became a Christian when I was 14 at high school, right? Uh, so I can actually name the actual time and date and place, right? It was the... 8th of November, 9.40 a.m. on a Thursday morning, 1972, right? Wow. Which happens to coincide with my birthday, right? So that's yep. interesting. I didn't I didn't think about that. But you could say I was in scripture class. and those times, everyone went to scripture class. It was a sort of uh, opt-out type thing. So with 30 kids in there. And, you know, the scripture teacher had been teaching us about Jesus for many years. Uh, I, you know, nothing really sunk in. But I've been trying to be the good boy. I just listened because I didn't want to get caned in those days, right? Anyway, one day the uh, scripture teacher was teaching us about the Bible again. I again, I can't remember. She said, who wants to become a Christian? And some instinct in me said, I've got to put my hand up. So yeah. I said, I want to become a Christian. So it's back in 8th of November, 1972. And it's interesting when I became a Christian because uh, I know three things changed in my life. Three things changed in life. As a young 14-year-old, one, I stopped reading Playboy magazines. Yeah. Two, I stopped swearing. I used to swear yeah. like a trooper. Yeah. And three, I started reading the Bible. Yeah. And then I remember that one day when I started going home, I read the Bible, I read the Bible again, and then it really dawned on me what I'd just done. I dawned, it dawned on me about you know what Jesus had done, about hell, heaven, forgiveness, sin. And I suppose you could say that the Becoming a Christian, where I put my hand up, was a starting point. But it's when I finally read the Bible and I really bowed and beside my bed and prayed and just, uh, you could say in one sense, committed my life. So I don't know when you could say when I started, but mm. it was around that time. Yeah. That was about, that, oh, how long ago was that? Uh, that, was, was a long that, was a, that was a while ago. Ying, um, yeah, but, probably two. Uh, yeah, that's nearly 50 years ago. So praise, yeah, nearly, you know, praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then um, tell us about sort of your journey into ministry. Obviously, you've been a church pastor for the last 30 years, nearly, nearly 30 years at CCC Milsons Point. Tell us a little bit about yeah, what it was like in terms of having been a Christian to then end up sort of heading towards ministry. Yeah, that's a, um, I, 
I went to New South Wales Uni. I was, I mean, when I was at high school, I was, I was doing um, what we would call um, cold turkey back in high school. Mm. So I used to go around the school grounds just talking to people about Jesus, right? right. Yeah. And I was pretty committed and pretty gung-ho about that. And so, you know, it came to a point that I almost preached the gospel to everyone in my class, right? Didn't know what to do afterwards, right? Went to New South Wales Uni and got involved in CBS. Uh, was challenged in sec- to, to think about full-time ministry in second year. And I really was uh, committed myself to doing that. But I suppose you could say uh, when um, push came to shove and I remember being approached by Philip Jensen there, the chaplain university, says, okay, I want you to come and join me and do MTS. I said, that's a great idea. Love to. And then I ran the other way. I kept running. <laughs> <laughs> I did what you could call, I did what I call the Jonah Bolt. I've gone, call it down Jonah Bolt. You know how Jonah was told by God to go Nineveh and did 180 and went the other way. I did what I call the Jonah Bolt. Yeah. And I ran right. away for, 100, uh, for about four years until in there, and you could say that, the conviction of going to full-time ministry was too strong that in the end I just uh, caved into that. And then uh, I've been running away for four years. Um, you could say I never slept much because I knew that this was the thing I needed to do, I should do. And I remember one day coming home from work, um, coming home from work, and the reason I ran away was because I knew the uh, – the incredible pain it would bring to my parents. Mm. I came from a broken family, you know, broken family. And for me to go into ministry was, the could say, like the straw that broke the camel's back. And that was just too painful for me because I love my parents a lot. But I remember one day coming home and uh, after four years, I said, God, okay, I give in. And I just broke down and cried that day on the way home, just in mm. absolute tears because I knew that, it was the right thing, but I knew it was the painful thing. Yeah. But there was a sense of peace on the one hand, but a sense of uh, uh, unspeakable sorrow on the other hand. It's a strange thing. And then I remember telling my parents that I wanted to go into full-time ministry, and and that was just gutted then. But I knew I had to keep going. So that's what I did. And after that, then uh, I approached my pastor, and uh, he told me, I need to wait for a year, and that was. But then I waited a year because my my sort of um, my reputation was so bad. <laughs> it was bad because I was such a maverick, a rebellious person. So I had to build reputation a year. So after a year, he was happy to sign me off, and I went to college. That's so crazy, Ying, that you ran away and then came back, and that conviction, and then the family find it really hard sharing with your family. In hindsight, now looking back on that moment of those four years of time, what what were you doing then? What type of work? And when you look back to that time, what 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 was going through your mind in that time as you were working? And 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 what insights have you learnt now looking back on that period that you've gained from that period of time? What was I doing? I went to work in the tax office. So I was a bit like Matthew, I suppose. I went to work in the tax office and. Yeah, you know, at the tax, I was still trying to preach the gospel to all my colleagues, and you know, came to a point I preached the gospel to all my staff and something like that. So I was trying to move around and keep sharing the gospel. So, so that's what I was doing in the tax office then. But there was always a sense of hypocrisy in my thinking that you know I'm trying to preach the gospel here, but I want to do full time ministry, right? Secular work before ministry is that always necessary? Or my observation is, 
I know that there has been a sort of thinking that people should just go from uni, do a few years of work, and then go do MTS or Bible college, right? My observation, I think it's a bit overrated. And the reason being is that we often say, look, you need to get experience in the workplace to understand the real world is what they say. And I think to myself, come on, I think ministry is the real world. Hmm. And why is that? Because in ministry, if I had a chance to talk to people, uh, I've talked to parents, I've talked to the people in sick, I've talked to old, I've talked to young, I've talked to people who are going through all sorts of depression. You never get that sort of experience in the working world, right? You, you're talking only to a very small sector. Hmm. And the second thing is you're talking to people who do not necessarily represent the sort of field that people you're going to talk to. I mean, you know, um, I remember one person, I saw one guy who said, you know, I said to, you know, he was a, he was a, in finance, right? And he's telling me about dividends. And so I asked him, what, you know, and then he looked at me with a glazed look, said, geez, you should get yourself into the real world. And I thought to myself, hold it. You may, you say that if I don't know dividends, I'm not in the real world. And I think my parents probably don't know much about dividends. Half the world probably don't know much about dividends. And he's <laughs> in the real world. I thought, come on. Mm. And so that, that showed to me, I think it's a bit uninflated, right? And so I think if a person has the maturity, mm. then go, just go straight and you will understand the real world more than you can ever imagine. Now, the only reason I say to work is just to grow up. That's it, right? That's just grow up. Yeah, but, you know, I think uh, that is super interesting, Ying. It's actually something similar to what, to what Mikey said as well on the podcast that ministry is the real world. And I totally agree with you that yes. everyone's experience and work is so different. So a farmer's not exactly. going to understand a businessman, someone who works in a restaurant. That's The work experience is different to every person. So you can't have the experience of all, of all your congregants. Well, my mother was a machinist. My dad was a waiter, right? People in my church have never experienced what it means to be a waiter or machinist, just sew things, you know, seven days, seven hours a day, and it's absolutely a boring job, but they don't know that. They're always talking about you've got to find a job that's meaningful and deep. I tell you what, my parents never thought about that, so they just had to put money on the table, on bread on the table, and that was it. So I get annoyed when, when people say to me, you've got to get experience of the real working world. I said, okay. Get over it. I think that's overrated. I think it's a middle, that sort of thinking is more middle class than it is biblical. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. You definitely can. <laughs> when I look back on it, when I look back on it, what did I learn from that? I suppose I was always reminded from scripture, but I didn't really want to uh, consider it seriously that God would care for me. And not only care for mm. me, He would care for my parents. When I look back on it, I can see God's faithfulness in caring for me and providing for me and also, above all, providing for my parents. Mm. And, you know, you know, you often got to learn that in hindsight, um, that, um, you know, what Scripture says, do not be anxious, seek first his king, and all these things will provide for you. And I look back in hindsight and look back, yeah, God did that. He fulfilled that promise. And I, I think I look back and say oh, I was an idiot not to follow that but, you know, I suppose I wasn't ready for it. I had to come to that conviction myself. I had to own it. Hmm. Not just being pushed hmm. into it, but I had to really come to grips with God and myself and my circumstances and to own the decision. 
How did you feel convicted all of a sudden to, was it all of a sudden, was there a moment or was it a series of moments where you just knew, okay, actually, no, I should stop working in tax and I should go into ministry? How did I know that? I, I, I had that, that, that sickling feeling behind me all the time, but it came to a point like a pressure point, then it was just too much. And I realized you could say the, uh, the conviction overwhelmed from my head down to my heart. and. Um, there was no, there was no sort of, um, there was nothing to say. Okay, this is it. it. It just all just overflowed, and that that one moment when I was walking home, it just as I was thinking, thinking over the last few years, it just, it, it just happened. I said, I got to stop running. Mm. Yeah, and it was painful. Yeah, it was painful. Mm. But you know, I had to go through that. I had to go through that. And ever, ever since, you know, I've uh, ever since you could say that conviction has mm-hmm. remained with me to do the ministry. And so it's never left me. Um, and I think you mentioned you went um, having that deep conviction. Your church pastor then re- recommended you wait another year. Was, was yep. that an even more difficult year because the conviction was still there and you were impatient? Or was that a sense where you knew that a sort of, in a sense, a decision had been made about your future, you know, um, and you'd been committing to go to college? It wasn't a difficult. I mean, um, <clears throat> the passage asked me to wait a year. That was fine. But I suppose, well, hold on, let me think about it. I suppose in one sense it was dragging out the pain a lot more. You're right, in one sense. It wasn't that I, didn't, I was impatient to go. I wanted to just go to the next season and not have to drag it up because it's already painful as it is to tell my parents and then to have to let, let that linger on for another year. It was like... It's like, you know, like a knife digging in, but just twisting and laying and sick there. And it's like, wow, a whole another year of pain. Can you tell us what it was like when you had to ask your parents that, or tell them that you were going into ministry? We had an, a guest from last season who also had a similar situation and it was super hard. Can you take us there? What was it like? What happened? How did you feel? Uh, I, when I told, I, see, I already told, I, when I go back, right, when the parents discovered I was a Christian, they were, dad was already angry. He was furious, right? He would stop, made me stop going to church for six months because he was so angry. I remember when I became a Christian, he raced into my room and yelling at me for about an hour and things like that, right? <clears throat> then wow. um, when I uh, went to, when I decided uh, I'll test the water going to full-time ministry, right, I told my parents the first time and they were pretty angry. So that's why I decided, no, this is not for me, not for me, right? But the conviction was still there. The second time when I told them, what was it like? It was, it was, it was gut wrenching, and it was just hard. I think the parents knew what was coming, and when I told them, it was, it was just uh, heartbreaking to me. And just watching my mum tears, and my dad's silence was just was that heart wrenching, heart wrenching. And what was, what was even what? you could say made it harder still was that <clears throat> my brother, like I said, I came from a broken family and that was like the sort of straw that broke a camel's back. At least I was hoping to bring some normality. But what and what and, uh, what made it worse was my brother was moving out. My, my sister already left. And so my dad was constantly working, you know, out and therefore <clears throat> it would be leaving my mum alone by herself most of the times. And that was... It, you know, all that was just hard, and um, 
Yeah, that was painful. Yeah. There was one thing to say God brought it all together to get me, get, help me to, to let me experience the full pain of it all. Mm. I wouldn't want to live through that experience again, but I know that in God's hand it was necessary because it helped shape who I am to a large degree. Mm. Wow. Obviously, then after some formal theological training, did you then uh, come back and work at CCC straight after uh, Bible College? Was that your sort of your first church and your first ministry position? My promise before God when I went to Bible College was never go back to my church. That was a covenant I made before God, never to go back to my church. Why did you make that? Because I was tired of the Chinese church and its messiness, right? Being involved in an Anglican ministry at uh, <clears throat> at campus ministry, I like the philosophy that the person who teaches the word is the one who leads the church, right? And also because I knew that in my church, you know, it's a pretty messy church. Theologically, it's a bit soft and things like that. And uh, and I had enough troubles with church myself when it's growing up as a youth leader and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I had a promise before God that I didn't want to go back to my church like a lot of other Asian guys. But God has a sort of a, 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 a wicked sense of humour. So in the last year of college, in the last few months, my senior minister at the time approached me and said, would you uh, think about coming back to church? And I sort of gave the polite, yeah, I'll think about it, which means are you serious <laughs> in my thinking, right? But he took that seriously. He invited one of the elders to come back to have a chat with me. And I didn't think he would do that, but he did. Uh, after two hours of discussion with me, uh, you could say that God ignited a flame in my heart. And somehow I decided I had to go back to CCC. I had to go back. And um, and I've never looked back ever since. So that's been 30 years. But I still remember the prayer that I made before God, before I went back, that he would give me the grace to endure even if they should take the congregation away from me. And, you know, lo and behold, that's what they did. <laughs> they, they, it, was, it was a hell coming back to church, but, you know, I still love it. Uh, as you reflect on being yeah. in parish ministry and particularly in CCC, what are some of the joys and challenges that you've found in ministry? Well, let me start with some of the challenges. I think it's always end off on a good to end off on a positive note, <laughs> if I might put it that way. Challenges. The challenges is that it, it it's always people, because the challenge I find in ministry is that often, often I say often. Um, you'll be disappointed. Often you'll be unfairly treated. Often you'll be accused of doing things that you didn't do and accused of not doing things when you in fact have done it. Uh, you'll be uh, asked to do things which are unrealistic and when you say no, they will treat you as being disrespectful. Uh, oftentimes they have unreasonable demands uh, and that they so you know I've been dismissed from different posts in my church I've been yelled out in our leaders meeting I've been sort of publicly criticized um, 
I still remember one time when I came back, I was promised I'd be ordained in six months. It took 10 years to get ordained. Um, I was taken off one congregation, taken off another ministry, two ministries. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. So they're challenges. Can you tell us about a time when you did get taken off a ministry position? That sounds crazy and super heartbreaking for someone who's thinking about going into ministry. Take us there. What was that like and how did you push through that that challenge? So I was the evening pastor uh, five years into it. The uh, leadership at the time asked me, Ying, what do you want to do? And being the young, culturally insensitive person that I was, said, I want to challenge every young person to think about full-time ministry, <laughs> which is not what you say. <laughs> and they said, this is not the type of pastor we want. And so I remember that time, back as a young lad, they had a big fight in our leadership where one person, one half of them wanted to get rid of me, the other half wanted to keep me. So I had a big fight, so they compromised. They took, off, took me off the congregation and then they put me on a one-year probation. That's after five years, right? Uh, but I learned some experience. I learned from my previous experience because when I was youth fellowship leader, I, something similar happened to me. I was a bit of a maverick. So they took me off being youth fellowship leader. And I was in the despair for two years, and I thought, that's never going to happen again. So what I did after they took me off, some people wanted to fight for me, say, no, don't do that. Let's just let this, let's ride the wave. For the sake of the church, let's ride the wave. And I learned all my sort of uh, things I learned from New South Wales Uni about ministries and so on. And so, so I started gathering a group of people and started training them in ministry and discipleship. And, and you could say that was the best thing that ever happened to me because uh, one thing I often said was I'm doing ministry, you've got to think outside the box. Right, think outside box. Um, the problem was, I was always thinking inside the box. I was saying we should think outside the box, but I was always thinking inside the box. And the only way that I can think outside the box when God took me outside the box, and that is take, you know, take away the congregation. Then I think, okay, how do I do ministry now? And so that was the turning point for a lot of what I do now, and it's helped me to shape what I am and who I am, and what I say to people. So it was a painful time, but it was a life-changing time in shaping the ministry I have now. So you could say that it was painful, but I'm much, uh, I praise God for that experience. Mm. Some of the joys that you've seen in ministry there at CCC? Uh, joy in ministry, I'd say it's always people. Let me give you an example. Um, many years ago, and this, this, this was also life-shaping for me, I was helping one of our youth group, uh, youth groups, a branch church. We had a youth group, and they were quite despairing about how the youth group was going. So I paused for a moment and said, why don't you share with us some great conversations that you've had with some of the youth? You know, they were despairing about the program not running great, uh, kids being up, you know, fringy, um, not grown. Okay, that's fine. And there was an air of despair in the whole leadership team so i said why don't you just stop a moment why don't you share with us some great conversation a, a conversation and there was a moment of silence and one piped up so yeah i've been talking to the person about this about their bible uh, talking to someone about their struggle with sin talking to someone about devotion talking about this talking about and after about 10 minutes they started sharing the whole um 
the whole mood just changed. They were looking at things from the perspective of programs and and their and how things were, but they forgot to see that God was doing a lot of quiet work in the lives of individuals, which they couldn't see. And you could say that's what that's been the joy for me. Because in the mess of at my church, I'm always out there talking to all sorts of people. And what I see is God sprouting little shoots all over the place. When I go to church, I have conversations. I see the quiet hand of God working in a, in a quiet, small, but significant way in the lives of people. And that is what constantly brings me joy. And so I often say to our leaders, okay, the program didn't work. The event, okay, no one came fine. But tell me about a conversation you had. And when they stop and think, I said, that's something to praise God for and to rejoice. And that's, that's the thing that I always look back over the last 30 years, those conversations I have with people. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Obviously, um, in your last 30 years, you've talked probably with countless number of people about ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know you and I have been at various conferences, recruitment ministry conferences, where you've advocated strongly for people to uh, consider, you know, being in being paid gospel workers. What are some of the challenges that you're finding, perhaps just in the current season of people's lives? Uh, perhaps some mm-hmm. of our sort of stage of life of our listeners, the eighteen to twenty five year olds. What are some of the challenges that you're finding yeah. in talking to people about ministry, giving them a vision for ministry? some of the things that are sort of causing them anxiety about considering and then possibly stepping into ministry? Are there particular things that you've sort of noticed in the last couple of years? Yeah. I think there are, if I put under three categories, one, there are people, one of the difficulties of convincing people not to go into ministry. One is convincing people to go into ministry. And the third category is helping people to be realistic about ministry. So let me say the first category. I have to say there are people, when I've talked to people and I listen to their passion, I look at them and look at their done, I think, no, they, I don't want them to go into ministry. They would be a complete sort of a, a shipwreck for their life and for their church. So helping people to um, be realistic about themselves and say, look, there are other things that you can do. So that's one of the challenges of the helping because you know they they grown up in a good Bible believing church with mission mind and things like that and they want to go for it and I think yeah that's great but I think your gift set lies elsewhere so helping them to to um, lower be realistic about who they are and what they can and cannot do that's the first thing the second thing is can trying to help people to see the need for going into full time ministry and the biggest problem I think there particularly for us in the Asian thing. The biggest concerns are very similar to mine is the fear of what the parents will think more than anything else. I think it's the challenge there. And so in many ways, my experience was quite uh, important because I can actually say to people, I know how it feels. I know the pain. I know the sorrow. But you've got to know that God will care for your family and your parents and so like that, right? So I think uh, helping them to get over that sort of hurdle of the uh, – parental connections. I think that related to that is also, um, related to that is also um, the, um, 
what if they're married i think the biggest fear from what i've observed is what do they expect of the wife you know there is a big fear of of uh ex expecting too much of their wife so much so that it you know it's not going to help them so i help them to help have to help them to be thinking about that navigate through that and i think the last thing is also helping them to be realistic about ministry my my thinking is that most those who do um go in this is an analogy analogy i use a lot of people go in to ministry thinking that they've joined a shooting club but fail to realize they just joined the war so you know shooting club means they get to shoot guns it's hard work but it's fun job it's fun work but when they get in ministry they realize it's this is not what i signed up for i was talking to i've talked to a lot of young people about this fun thing and they are that they did not expect this sort of thing uh, one person once said to me very helpfully that many people go into ministry many people who are doing lay ministry want to go into full-time ministry but it's it's akin to a person watching a bushfire from a distance it's it's interesting exciting and it's safe and when you go into ministry you're in the bushfire it's not exciting it's dangerous and it's deadly but I still say it's exciting. Well, actually, I would say, still say exciting. So I think that's the challenge that I have, those three things. Trying to tell people you sh you're not it, but help them to realize that they're not a failure. Two, helping challenge people to help them to go in and help them to cross over and put to love Jesus over and above their parents. And that's a very painful thing. And thirdly, help them to be realistic. You're not signing up to put a, a, a shooting club. You're signing up to join the war. Super helpful. Thank you. If there was um, advice, some advice that you wanted to give some of our listeners, so they're in that sort of stage of life where they're hopefully, you know, considering or aspiring towards going into ministry, uh, other than those three things, which is really very helpful, because obviously some of our listeners will fall into probably one of those three categories. What sort of last piece of advice would you give those who are thinking about going into ministry? Probably the best piece of advice is the advice that was given to me by a missionary friend in Thailand. Because I asked him, what do you do in Thailand? He says, I do what in Thailand, what you guys do here in Sydney. And I think it's the same with full-time ministry. Going to full if, you, if you're not doing ministry now, don't even think about full-time ministry. So I say to people now, make sure you do evangelism. Mm. Make sure you're talking to people. Make sure you're mixing with all sorts of people because you're not doing that now. You're never going to do that in ministry. And that's what I'd probably say to people. So do ministry now because full-time ministry is more of what you do now, but it's also deeper and things like that. And uh, I think I'll say the same thing I'd say is um, when you do full-time, when you do ministry now, don't just play in the youth group or the Bible study group or even your congregation. Spend a lot of time talking to the pastor and to your top leadership. Get into their lives and listen to them. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the difficulties? What are some of the, the mm -hmm. hardship they find? Mm -hmm. Because by uh, talking to them, you get a much you get a, a, a picture of what goes on in the life of the top leadership. Because anyone who goes into full time ministry invariably goes into top mm -hmm. leadership. 
So know what you're getting into. It's not the same as youth group. It's not the same as Bible study. It's so much more, but I would say it's even harder. But the last thing I say is also remember to trust God. Because, you know, mm. one people ask me, what are, what other, you know, what's the one thing that's also carried me? Confidence that God is the one who has carried me through for those 30 years in ministry. Uh, I think that's all I say to them. That's some really great advice, Ying. That's just oh, cool. so super helpful for lots of our listeners. So we're really thankful that you've been able to join us tonight. And, um, you know, thank you very much for uh, sharing with us uh, some of the joys and challenges and your particular uh, sort of journey into and uh, being in ministry. And we really, really appreciate the time you've spent with us. So thank you, Ying. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. You take care. Well, Aaron, it was just uh, so good to have Ying join us for that episode. I was struck by a number of things he said that um, you know I'm really looking forward to you and I chatting about over these next few minutes. So I guess first thing I wanted to say was just uh, that it sounds like his uh, time in ministry uh, over those last 30 years, while it's had some great joys, has also had some really significant difficulties. Mm. And I guess I just wanted to, you know, I'm sure as our listeners have heard his story, um, it sounds like he's gone through some really tough times in ministry, particularly within the local church context. So it's not as if that it's other outsiders who have sought to bring disrepute on him or his reputation, but it's actually, by the sound of things, some who were within the church who were unhappy with his ministry decisions or his strategic direction or perhaps even his ministry practices and clearly were unhappy so much so that they wanted to... Um, you know, move him off certain ministry positions and onto certain other ministry positions. So, I mean, in some senses, I'd want to say, you know, testimony to his humility and patience and trusting the Lord in all aspects and circumstances that he's been able to keep prevailing and do ministry there in the church. I just think it's a um, great testimony to uh, the power of the gospel, actually, in that respect. Um, yeah, yeah, really confronting and and challenging for a young person to hear that. I think when you're thinking about going to ministry, you're obviously thinking about the positives a lot. You're still thinking about the negatives, but I don't think anyone would ever dream of being asked to step down from a ministry position from your own church leaders. That sounds devastating and his ability to persevere. Mm. With that mm. said, though, I think it'd be cool to talk about the three categories that he did speak about in terms of different yeah. types of, of people. And perhaps we can work backwards because we're speaking about the third type of person that he mentioned mm. the type of person who mm. might have unrealistic expectations about ministry. And I loved how he phrased that, that they, they think that they're just doing a shooting club when actually they're going to war. And yeah. I definitely think it's, yeah, it's something we need to think through. And I, I think personally, if I reflect on my own life, I think it's definitely, if I had to pick one for me, I reckon I would pick that one. I need to remember that it is war. It's hard, difficult, involves people and people can be messy. And, and and need to be prepared for that. And I think we spoke about this ages ago, but just having that realism. It can be romantic realism, but still a realism which will keep aspirations in check. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it can be easy. Hey, I just wanted to pop in here and say there is a bit of a pop or crackle coming from Patty's mic. We'll try and resolve this in future episodes. Sorry about it. Uh, I think sometimes um, a lot of what ministry, a lot of ministry that's undertaken is the unseen work. It's not as if you're always up the front of, say, the congregation or the people whom you're ministering to. 
uh, it's not uncommon that for many people in ministry, a lot of the work is done on a one-to-one -one setting or sometimes in a one-to-small group setting. And so while the overall uh, effect of your ministry can be seen across, say, a congregation or within a particular ministry, um, sometimes, often, all that is seen sort of in terms of the overall sense is what you do up front, right? The sermon that you preach or uh, the training session that you run or those sorts of things. So I think it can be, um, in a sense, easy for people who are considering ministry to see all of those aspects hmm. and think, well, the person up the front looks like they've got it all together. Uh, there's no one heckling from the audience in the congregation, right? It looks like they always say nice things about the sermon afterwards. So I guess ministry is not that difficult, right? Mm. And I think at the same time, Ying's advice there is uh, try and spend some time meeting with those who are in the leadership positions. And I think it's a really good reminder for those of us in ministry, perhaps those of us who have been in ministry for some time, to keep being very realistic about not just the joys in ministry, but also the challenges and sometimes the difficulties involved in ministry to uh, give both a real, well, to give a realistic understanding of what ministry is. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's particularly important for those who have been in ministry and are talking to those who are uh, perhaps younger and aspiring to be in ministry. And I, I think it's a little bit like, you know, in my mind, I think, you know, Jesus at times will use the language of wanting to, you know, saying to the crowd and the disciples, well, it's about counting the cost. And in a sense, it's trying to, I guess, for those aspiring into ministry, make a well-informed decision and knowing that, yes, there'll be some joys and there'll be also some heartache along the way. And uh, you need to be realistic that this may be the case in whatever ministry you're involved with. So I think being really realistic about ministry is a really important thing. Yeah. It's interesting, the other category of person that he had, which was the person who appreciated there was a need for ministry, but one of the challenges that those people potentially face is the expectations that they may have for their partner or their wife or even family expectations something I definitely relate to in terms of when I was thinking about ministry, I was always thinking who can I date who would want to be keen to do that with me. And perhaps it, it did really affect the way that I've, I've dated. And luckily I've found someone who's been willing to stick around and we've been having a great time and she's amazing. But do, do you think sometimes we, we we're wanting too much from the person that we're seeking to marry or that we're thinking about marrying. We want them to have the exact same ministry ambitions or we want them to be like this, be charismatic or be able to worship lead or do you, do you, yeah. mean, do you reckon we ask too much from the person we're thinking about dating? If we want to go and Yeah, good question. There's, well, there's two related issues, right? The first one is how our personal decision to potentially pursue ministry will come across in light of our parents and our perhaps siblings, you know, our, our family. And that came out really clearly in Ying's story about the, um, the the fear that he felt, the fear of family in actually telling them that he was going to go into ministry. And I think, as Ying mentioned, uh, sometimes in Asian cultures, the potential shame that that might bring. And Ying's advice there was just great pastoral advice. You have to keep trusting that not only will Jesus provide for you, but he will provide for your family as well. So I think that's probably the first thing to say in terms of people making the decision. But the second one, which it's related, which is about what to expect of you know a spouse or a partner, I, I think at this point we need to really heed Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul then actually gives a word to those who are single mm. that because the time is short, then those who are single should consider seriously remaining single. 
And I think sometimes uh, we can uh, take a great thing, which is marriage, and we can make a presumption that everyone should be married. Mm. Whereas I don't take it that that's what Paul is encouraging in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's saying, I take it for those who are married, if in the case of in 1 Corinthians 7, if one of you, one of the part, one of the couple becomes a believer, then you are still to remain married. You know, you don't leave your unbelieving partner just because you become a believer. You remain as you are. Um, so Paul highly values marriage and we can go to other parts of scripture where he talks about that. But I think Paul there is particularly saying, look, if you're a single person, then it's worth particularly uh, considering remaining single for the cause of the gospel. Mm. Now, that won't be possible nor feasible for everybody, but I think sometimes we can be too quick to presume that people in ministry, in a sense, must be married. And mm-hmm. so therefore we sometimes jump too quickly to the question of, well, who shall I date who aligns with my ministry position right. on this right. theologically or practically or the country I want to go to? Or Whereas actually maybe in that scenario, if you know the Lord places on you the particular desire for a people group, you know, a less reached or a less resourced people group or somewhere around the world, then maybe actually uh, for the cause of reaching that people group, remaining single is actually the best thing to do for the cause of the gospel. Um, mm. Marriage is a great thing. Marriage is a good thing, a great gift given to us by God. Um, but it's not necessary to be married, to be in gospel ministry. Right? Um, How about this one? Do you have to date slash marry someone who at least wants to go into ministry with you? Does it have to be a verbal acceptance of that? Like how willing should they be? Because it is tough, isn't it? It affects yeah. both persons if they're in ministry. Oh, so, yeah, yeah what, what, to, how keen should they be? I'm, I'm wary. I'm, it's a great question. How weary should they be? It's a great question. I'm not question. passively I'm like, asking I'm... it, by the way, of Lara who I'm dating. It's nothing to do no, with no, no, her. I'm, I'm wary. I know the people I'm out wary. there, though. They're thinking, is this person keen or do they need to be keen yeah, or how can they, you know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Look, I'm I'm a little wary about whatever advice is given here. Suddenly, we'll see a group of young men running around with you know contracts saying to potential <laughs> women, "Look, before we can go out, I really need you to agree to this, right? I've I've got the terms and the conditions and the close. So if you're listening to this, please do not do that, right? Uh, look, I think like most things, the um, when you you know seeking to date somebody or and with with a possibility that it may lead to marriage. I think you want to be um, as you as appropriate. You want to be open and honest. You want to be transparent. You want to keep building trust in the relationship, and I think you do that in all aspects of the uh, opportunity uh, in the relationship that you as you're going out with someone before you commit to being married to them. Which means I think that it is helpful um, in the context of uh, going out or even just socialising with them in among other friends, even if it's not a formal going out thing, just to share your particular hopes and aspirations for the cause of the gospel. And if your hope and aspiration for the cause of the gospel is you'd really love to be a local parish minister, if that's at this at this stage in life what's on your heart, then be open and honest about that. And that may be that there may be uh, someone who you might be interested in dating, but they're really particularly keen to go overseas to the you know 1040 window, in which case it may be that there's a just an incompatibility there because your ministry vision is just different. I don't think it's. I don't think you can argue that one is better and one is worse. It's just different. 
And like some things, right, if you really like surfing and the person who you hope to go out with really doesn't like surfing, then maybe that's going to be a bit of a challenge in terms of navigating the relationship going forward. So that'd be the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is um, one of the things that marriage does is marriage um, and the, the consideration towards marriage is actually about putting aside your own needs to um, serve the other. And we need to be careful here that um, the needs of one are not always dominating so that the other always feels like I have to keep giving in because that won't actually be a healthy marriage, particularly if that flows out into all areas of marriage relationship. Um, and so I think it's worthwhile before committing to marriage to be having some good, open and honest conversations about hopes and desires. But keep in mind at that stage, they are still just hopes and desires. And if down the track, you know, the two of you end up, two people end up getting married, then the commitment that's been made is then to each other. And that may be that actually both of your individual ministry desires might not actually be able to be fulfilled in that particular marriage relationship. But God in his kindness may actually bring about a third ministry option that actually wasn't on the table when each of you were thinking about it and talking about it. Mm. But if that then becomes the thing that both of you then commit to and work together at with one or both of you in various roles in that, then praise God for that, that you've worked out as a married couple what that's going to look like, what ministry will look like. So, yeah, I think that would be some of the advice I'd be giving there. Yeah. I'm sensing that there's going to be a whole lot of questions on the Facebook group about marriage and dating and singleness. Yeah. And Let's talk about Christian probably, dating for a whole episode. We've we'll, we'll got lots we can, of questions in the Q&A for the next season, perhaps. Yeah, we can talk about <laughs> the Q&A then, sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's some helpful advice. Thank you for that. And by the way, the, the ladies out there could be tempted to get the contracts out as well, not just the blokes, but yeah, I see what you're saying and I think it's helpful. Hey, the other category that he mentioned was the the person who is not realistic about themselves, in his words, mm. destined to be mm. a shipwreck. Now, none mm. of us want to be this type of person and none of us hope that we're not that person. But, mm. Patty, can you help us do some self-diagnosis to figure out whether we might be someone who should probably not go into ministry? Sure. A bit of a somber question. Um. Yeah, a couple of things to say. I think um, as we've been hearing from some of our guests and as you and I have chatted and for those who have gone back and looked at some of the passages of Scripture, it's a, it's a thing, it, it is a good thing to aspire to ministry. But as we're reminded, there are certain qualifications that are required for people to be in ministry. And first and foremost, uh, when you go back and look at uh, 1 Timothy 3 passages, there are often qualifications around character. Um, and so I think there needs to be a good season for an individual who's thinking about aspiring into ministry of self-examination, uh, drawing on uh, the wisdom of others who know them well, either their church pastor or some very close peers, and just weighing against scripture whether or not at the current stage of life in terms of their Christian maturity, they're suitable for ministry and their character is consistent with what the scriptures indicate. And if that's not the case, then they ought to just at least pause their um, consideration of ministry until they can keep working on some of those character areas. I think sometimes what we find is that people um, hold up some of the sort of the great ones in ministry, those who um, they perceive to have uh, significant public personas, uh, those who they genuinely aspire to be like. And I think sometimes if they presume that that is the form of ministry that they will undertake, 
and if they will only be a success in ministry if that's the type of ministry they will have, then that can be potentially damaging and they can actually then shipwreck ministry and possibly even their faith. Um, and so I think mm. it's worth being realistic that sometimes what you'll find in people who are the you know, um, many sort of seasoned preachers, um, it's an unusual thing for them to go from not really being a great preacher to suddenly being an amazing preacher. Most preachers, when you ask them, well, how did you become such a great preacher? They say, well, I just kept working at it week in, week out, year in, year out. And over 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, God kept doing his work of helping me understand his word, refining the way in which I communicate, getting good feedback from my peers and more experienced preachers. And this is where the Lord has brought me today. In, very, in many respects, that growth in the character and competency and conviction of the minister actually takes a lot of time. So I, I take it that that means that um, people, as Ying suggested, need to keep being realistic about who they are at the moment, what their gifts and their abilities are, and their hopes and their desires. There's nothing wrong with having aspirations, particularly if they're godly aspirations, mm -hmm. but that may or may not actually be what comes to fruition over the course of people's ministry life. Um, and so I think, and you remember Ying's story, Ying, Ying had sort of sounded like made a vow or a promise before God that he didn't want to go back to his home church. And yet the Lord clearly has had other plans and the Lord has clearly had plans for him because he's been able to be there for the last 30 years. So I think we do need to keep being realistic about who we are and our character particularly and keep even those in ministry need to keep watching their character and growing in godliness and um, be realistic about what we can achieve at various stages across sort of our development into ministry. Hmm. Mm, good good takeaways tough stuff to think about but uh necessary so thank yeah you. absolutely thanks for listening to the aspire podcast if you've enjoyed the podcast and want others to consider aspiring towards ministry would you consider leaving us a review until next time